I'm fairly introverted and just being with people, even people I like is exhausting. So the idea of onboarding people, which is a very valiant and and wonderful thing to do, it's still exhausting for me personally. I can't speak for everyone, but it's exhausting for me. And it's like, even I get that Slack message where they're like, Hey, can I, can we screen share for a minute? I'm a little confused and I have to like center Mm -hmm. myself. I'm like, you can do this. (laughs) It's okay. (laughs) sounds like something I have to do when my kids are bugging me. (laughs) It's the same thing. Exact same thing. Welcome to Working Code, and now your hosts, none of whom have ever seen a failing unit test, Adam, Ben, Carol, and Tim. Okay, here we go. It is show number 35, and on today's show, we are going to talk about being a responsible swamp guide, and I guess what that entails and what that means. But as usual, we're going to start with our triumphs and fails, and Tim, you get to go first. What do you got? Yay, I get to go first. Okay. <laughs> Mine's kind of, I guess it's it balances out to a positive and a negative. Can I do a triumph and a fail? Is that okay? Sure, why not? Sure. Okay. Well, my triumph is I'm having to refactor a project that I, I had worked on for a good long time. But the, the triumph is the fact that the way I wrote it, unlike me normally, I was smart enough to... Um, extract out the portion the ser- things into services that are easy to extend excuse me and particularly this thing is it's basically it's generating xml but i have to generate xml in a, in a different way for a different service and but fortunately i built a service that abstracts out building that xml so it should be pretty simple and straightforward we'll see we'll I'll let you know later it might be my fail later famous last words yeah exactly exa- should be easy famous last words but it, the fail is the whole fact that i have to do this at all is because i really didn't do my due diligence i picked a vendor based off their api i really like their api and this all the stuff they said about security and all the things that they said that they did i'm like okay cool that t- checks all the regulatory stuff we have to do and then when our audit came up this year, I asked for some documentation and some signatures on that. And they just flat out said no. Oh, wow. So the vendor said no. The vendor said, no, we don't supply that. I'm like, well, your website says you have all these compliances. And they said, yeah, we, we do all that, but yeah, we don't hand out our attestation of compliance. I'm like, That's well, then just trust you? us. Yeah. Just trust us. Mm. We do good. We're there. Yeah. So my old security, I got all, and this is not a small company. I got all the way up to their. I don't want to name them. So I I got all the way up to their CEO and he basically just said, yeah, we're, we're not going to do that for you. I'm like, okay. So I went to their, one of their biggest competitors and I said, Hey, can you supply me this document? And I don't even have a relationship with them yet. They're like, they immediately emailed it to me. Like, Mm -hmm. here it is. I'm like, okay. So now I have to refactor this one company's XML into someone else's XML. Mm. But like I said, I wrote that, I abstracted that part out. So all the other business rules that are involved don't come in. So I'm glad, I'm glad I applied a bit of clean code polymorphism on this so that you did a really clean job of shooting yourself in the foot. I did. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So that, that's that's why I was asking earlier if you guys have to deal with regulations because yeah, I, I broke my own rules. I really should have done a little bit more due diligence and had more people involved looking at it. I just like, oh, this is an awesome API. I like it and chose it. And then. It shot me in the foot later. But that's crazy. I mean, we have people who send us these massive security questionnaires and we return all kinds of information based on what their needs are. I mean, when you provide a service and people have to depend on that service, it's, I think it's completely reasonable that you should be able to answer questions and provide 
documentation about stuff. Yeah. They're, they just pointed to their website and said, say, it says we do all this. I'm like, yeah, but it doesn't say you take responsibility for it. They're like, that's true. Okay. Well, I will be going to your competitor. Bye. <laughs> yep. That's me. How about you, Carol? Oh, yeah. So I'm on the West Coast doing what? some, yeah, doing some remote work, just hanging out with family. And I have to say, I understand now why West Coast is best coast. And this is going to sound awful for most people, but at like 2.57, 2.59, I wake up every morning and mm. my eyes are like, it's six o'clock. Why aren't you out of the bed yet? I'm like, oh, <laughs> man, it's three. So I go sleep another hour, hour and a half. And then I go run and then I get up and I get ready and I work. And like by the time I start working, it's like six o'clock, six thirty. And I'm just, I'm feeling like way motivated, like all day long. It's like that at home. It's like, OK, I'm up at running six, working seven, eight, sometime around then. And it just feels like it drags on. I don't know. It just feels different here. Maybe it's just the time zone or whatever. Think, but I like it. Like maybe every six months, you should just move three more time zones to the West. Mm -hmm. there you go. <laughs> so you can keep, keep, keep this going keep forever. Bumping it, keep bumping it. And then I'm getting a whole lot of test coverage this week on that project that I did because we had a lot of kind of floating requirements with what we were actually going to be finalized with. So we didn't add as much test coverage up front as we typically do. Typically, you can't have any serverless projects go out without 100% coverage. Like it's automatically denied. So we went ahead, went out with it, even though we didn't have the test there. So I've been doing a whole lot of testing this week. And it's been interesting. I ran into a problem with mocking and how I implemented something. So it's definitely proven beneficial because I didn't even realize that the way I was utilizing something would make it not able to be mocked so that's been interesting but fun so yay 100 percent test coverage that's a that's a very high coverage percentage every line has to be covered wow mm -hmm. is that do you are you finding that to be a valuable number or does 100 seem arbitrary yeah sometimes it feels a little bit out there because i okay I didn't do it. Not me. Not taking credit for this. But we might have a test out there that just says, go ahead and mock this and call it. We're just going to promise it back resolved as yes, it resolved. So resolved is true. And that counts as coverage against the function, even mm. though there isn't really any tests going on. It just says you good. And mm. now that chart says 100% of your lines are covered. And yeah. I'm like, you know, you just said it was true every time. That's just pencil. So you're executing the lines and then you're just doing like expect true to be true sort of and thing. And true is yeah. true. So yeah, that, <laughs> yeah. that's a cheater way to get to 100% code coverage, but I guess yeah. it works. <laughs> I didn't do it. Wasn't me. Definitely not. Yeah. Wasn't me. <laughs> yeah, the song, right? What about you, Adam? Oh, gosh, I'm going to make a little callback here to something I talked about previously. And I, I think I, I don't remember if it was a triumph or fail at the time, but I talked about uh, a function like the signature changed. It was struct value array. And I basically I had a, a struct value array, array in my code. And then a new version of Lucy came out and we were testing it and that code broke. So I was like, OK, well, fine. This function is now a built in function. I, it must have been my thought at the time was it must have been an undocumented but available function and the signature changed when they decided to go ahead and make it available or documented and that turned out to be wrong what the actual case was was that the 
function I was calling was not an undocumented but available function. It was a UDF that was just like a thousand lines down the same component. <laughs> and so no no kidding, the method signature is different. It's a built-in function versus my UDF and and they're doing different things. And of course, switching to the built-in didn't it like just stuff broke and it's been broken in production for like, I don't know, a week and a half, two weeks. And I had no idea. And I feel like a total horse's patootie <laughs> because this is a totally preventable. Right yeah. 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 Like if I had just bothered to highlight the, the function name, copy, command F, command V and enter, I would have found the other instance of it. For anyone who doesn't and, know, that's copy and paste. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> Copy and paste it into the yeah, search. Yeah, you'll find. I would have found like if I just searched for it in that file, I would have found the other instance and I'm like, oh, OK, let me just rename the function. No big deal. So that's what the the fix ended up being. It was an easy fix, right? Just sort of undo the fix that I did previously <laughs> and change the function name. And OK, fine. I, so, I, yeah, I just feel awful about that because it was a, a, the stupidest of stupid mistakes, but also triumph today. These are both today, actually. We put our first feature flag in production. No way. And? And, I mean, it's working great. Uh, And everybody that's touched the system so far loves it. So I showed it off at our engineering stand-up, and everybody seems to like it. And then the mechanism that I built in for, like, publishing flags and and getting them out and distributed to all those servers seems to be working really fast and and flawlessly. And knock on wood, tap on my head here. Um, Everything's going well. So... So you said everybody loves it. You mean the users love the change that you've made under said feature flag or that the people who have saw the implementation of it have been impressed with it? Which the, did you mean by that? The developers that have used it. Okay. Yeah, the one feature flag that we've actually used for something useful. When I deployed the feature flag service to production initially, I included uh, one active feature flag that's just on for people with the developer role. We have a role in our uh, security roles that is basically just our staff so that we can have stuff that's visible to us or that sort of thing. And so it it checks to see if you have this role and then it just displays a banner at the top of the page you see after you log in. It says, you are a developer. And that's it. Like that's all it did, just to to show that it works. (laughs) and like, And we could toggle that flag on and off in the feature flag dashboard and it would instantly refresh the page. and, And it the banner goes away and comes back. Um, but so, so that was our first feature flag, but it wasn't the first like real feature flag. This one, I mean, it's kind of, kind of nothing, but also it, I mean, it turned out to be useful. So we, when we onboard a new client, we first create a QA environment for them and we don't create a production environment for them until we're ready to like go live. And once we are live with a customer, we disable our integrated support ticket system in their QA environment so that there's no worry about people being confused and accidentally submitting a ticket in QA when it should be in production. And also, like we do periodic database refreshes and we overwrite the QA database from production with some sanitization. And if there were any actually valid, useful, ongoing tickets in QA, they would get deleted, right? So for multiple reasons, we disable support tickets in QA. However, that's a problem when you don't have a production environment. So what our feature flag is, is for this particular customer who doesn't have a a production environment, we turn on feature flag, we turn on support tickets in QA. That's it. I mean, it it only affects QA, even though it's, uh, you know, being evaluated on all uh, production servers. Well, it's still exciting, man. This is the... The first step on a journey that's going to change your life. (laughs) I'm excited. Tip of the spear. 
So let me ask you guys, did you guys all get a message from Launch Darkly on LinkedIn? I don't think so. A message? Nope. Yeah, I, yeah. Do you have I to have... go into LinkedIn to see that? Because I have yeah. no idea. <laughs> yeah, I got an email that had a message from someone. So I went and looked back. So I don't use it a lot, right? And I don't know if it's because of like the stuff Ben's been posting, like with videos and stuff where we've had Launch Darkly tagged and things. But I got an email that was like, let's have lunch and talk. Let's come in and tell you about Launch Darkly and we'll like pay for your whole team to have lunch. Interesting. Interesting indeed. Oh, I never got one of those, but I've talked to people at Launch Darkly a bunch on and off. I'm jealous now. Why didn't I get one? I would have ignored it. I'm the opposite of jealous because I didn't have to go on LinkedIn. Yeah. Who are these people? So that's me. I guess that leaves Ben. What have you been up to, man? I'm going to go with a cascading failure, <laughs> which is that I had a failure that reminded me of another failure. And I know I've mentioned on the show before that we have an AngularJS app that is then partially running React internally. So it, it renders React components inside of the AngularJS views, which is just a huge pain in the ass. And they call I it being a polyglot, right? <laughs> I think it's a glutton for punishment. Okay, probably um, glutton. <laughs> so I had to do the simplest task. I had changed an API endpoint that the React that the React view consumes to return an error message. And previously, if it had returned an error message, it would have just shown a generic error on the client saying something went wrong. But there was a particular error code that I actually wanted to trap and present a more meaningful error message. And I kid you not, to get that error message out of the Ajax response into the React view, I had to touch 12 different files just on the client-side code because the React stuff uses this old um, implementation of a like a flux data flow where there's a central store and then like nothing can directly touch data. Everything triggers these actions and these actions get listened to by the store and then the store changes data internally and then it emits change events and then things have to subscribe to the store. But it's all just like very, everything is indirect and it was just such, such a huge pain in the butt. It took me like 10 minutes to change the server side code to change the error message that gets sent back to the client. And I swear it took me like four hours to actually take that error message and render it inside of the application. Which then reminded me of a part in the Angular app where this was just after people had started to build some of the React code inside of our app and they were using the Flux stuff and everyone's like, oh, you got to use Flux and you got to use these like Redux style data flows. So I tried to recreate that in a part of the Angular JS app. And I, ha I went and I looked in that code just recently and it is just a atrocious. It's a nightmare. And I remember thinking at the time, like, People are telling me I have to solve this problem and I don't quite understand the problem and why this solves that problem, but I'm going to do it anyway, because this is what everybody's doing. <laughs> and I'm just like, it, I'm, I feel so ashamed that that's the reason I built it the way it is and not because I really understood the problem I was solving. And now it's just this garbage pile of legacy code. And, so did uh, you just say that you wrote this code? I didn't I write the React code. I oh. wrote then later angular code that was inspired by that react mm. code <laughs> so mm. it was just failures all the way down so tim started with i wrote nice code that's easy to be refactored and you're ending with <laughs> damn this code damn this code <laughs> oh I'm, trust me i've got plenty of code just like that 
you implement it, it's like I don't know, I'm sure a lot of people go through this phase where they start to read up on design patterns and then they go to write some code and they're like, Oh, how do I fit all 20 design patterns that I just learned about inside this code that I'm about to write for the first time? Because you think like that's how code has to be written. And it ends up being that your code is ridiculously complicated because it starts solving a lot of problems that you didn't actually have. Yes. That's what I did. And I'm so I feel so angry about it now in retrospect because it didn't feel right at the time. But I thought that I had to solve something. I don't know. I just I felt like I wasn't smart enough to solve it at the time or to understand why I was trying to solve it that way at the time. And just makes me angry. We hmm. still love you, Ben. Thank you. Yeah. So, Tim, you had this idea for, for being a, a good steward of the swamp. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, what Ben was talking about kind of illustrates that, right? I mean, you have some program that's organically I, grown over time. I, I don't know if swamp guide, I was Googling it. I don't think it's a common term. Yeah, I was going to say, you have to yeah. tell people what a so, swamp guide is, because I don't think a lot I, of people I guess know. maybe it's a, a term we just we use at our work. So a swamp guide is a person who knows... You have a system that has grown over time. It's grown organically. It's been somewhat written and rewritten. And there's there, there's just lots of pit holes and places that are just convoluted and hard to understand. And so a swamp guide is a person who's not necessarily their job. A lot of times it just becomes, you become anointed by just the fact that you've been there long enough and know the ground. And I, th- I think Ben... And I probably fall into those categories of having been at a place so long that you just instinctively know where the hidden bodies are. And so as the organization grows, obviously you have to maintain it. And you got uh, people that are like, you know, well, I don't, I don't understand, you know, what is this doing? And they're like, well, go ask Tim, go ask Ben. And so that's your job now to be the swamp guide in addition to everything else you already have to do. So swamp guide kind of helps other people understand a system that a lot of times doesn't necessarily have very good documentation or any documentation at all and it help guide them through and understand the the house of cards that has been built so that they can actually get their work done so that's what i think of as a swamp guide yeah and stuff gets so complicated and and you live with it for so long that you don't even realize just how complicated it is uh, i just this morning was trying to get someone up and running on our legacy platform. And our legacy platform is Dockerized, meaning that it should be as simple as you set up some environment variables and then you do Docker Compose up and things should just work. And yada, 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 three and a half hours later, we're still screen sharing, trying to figure out why node packages are missing and why this command's not working or this thing's timing out. And it's like I'm scraping the bottom of the barrel of like how I had to get things set up. And he had a slightly different version of Docker for Mac running, which I think was causing problems with how the volumes were being mounted, even though the Docker Compose file was the same version. And it was just crazy. Yeah, it's makes me think about a change that we had to make recently. How do I explain this? The So we had a change to the way that we were compiling some JavaScript for a very small and deeply nested within our application, part of our application. And as a result of that change, the environment had the assumption that like you had changed directory down into four, four layers deep into this folder and run an NPM install. And if you don't do that, then the usual JavaScript compiling from the root folder just will blow up when it gets to that point. <laughs> so I guess what it made me think is like, 
one of the things that you need to be thinking about as you're evolving your app over time is like, okay, when somebody comes in, when we hire somebody tomorrow, what are, what's going to be wrong with their environment that we need to prevent? Right. And so one of the things that I did as a result of kind of that I stumbled across this in setting up some automated testing for deploys and stuff. And what I ultimately decided was I created like a NPM script to do, we called it clean slate. And it is a designated place for dropping in like, okay, when you first start your environment, when you first clone this repository, these are the things you need to run. And so it does this like CD into that folder and run NPM CI sort of thing. And that's that way we can use it not only for our continuous integration, but also for new hires and that sort of thing. And then we just need to document that. We also, and that makes me think we have a, a document. So we have a, a wiki available to our engineering team. Sorry if you can hear my dog snoring. Where does and this wiki live? So Stack Overflow has a, a product called Stack Overflow for Teams. And there's yep. like a free basic really tier. Yeah. Um, and so we, we use that as our company, or as our engineering team wiki. And yeah. And so it's just, it's nice because it's sort of question and answer format. And everything that's great about Stack Overflow, except we don't really use the voting because it's not that useful to us. We used it at the last job, side note. And then if your question got upvoted or your answer got the most votes and was accepted, then you went in for like a gift card. So uh-huh. it like it encouraged you to go answer your coworkers' questions. Yeah. Well, there's cool. all of five people in my entire company. So that's true. <laughs> so we do yeah. the same thing. We have like a setup page that's on mm-hmm. Confluence, which is just part of our Jira Atlassian product suite. And it's like, here's your developer setup. Here's the Windows yeah. version. And it says at the top, like, laugh out loud. Why did you choose Windows? And then here's the Mac setup, which is like, you're a good guy. You got this. Yeah, it's okay. So I have ours open. And, and since you mentioned the Windows thing, I'm just going to read this quick section. It says machine selection, <laughs> Mac, Linux, or Windows. We don't care. But that said, we do have some automations that assume you have Mac or Linux. So Windows may not be the best choice if you're comfortable without yeah. them. Yeah. So It's like, we prefer you choose to learn Mac than us support Windows. Yeah. Yeah, I switched to Mac development when I switched to Clear Capital. Yeah. I've been Windows shop all mm. before that. So yeah, this wiki doc that we have is basically, it's labeled as like an onboarding doc. And mm-hmm. there's a lot of different things in here. It just talks all the different stuff you have to know for onboarding from payroll to VPN to everything else. But there's a huge list of like must-have software tools yeah. that you're going to need. And then there's recommendations. And then there's like, here's all the software and and the things that you are going to need to learn. It doesn't teach you the things about them, but it's just a bulleted list of like, these are the concepts that you need to understand before you can really dig in. And these are our goals as a team. And that way, okay, if you don't understand this part yet, then who do I talk mm-hmm. to about that? And you yeah. go and solve that so, problem. I mean, I think you're kind of hitting on one of the things I think is one of the top things of being a responsible swamp guide is whenever it's one thing to just one-on-one tell a person how to, where to look, what to solve and how to just fix the problem, encouraging them, helping them, or maybe even doing it yourself, write down some documentation somewhere, whatever that is. If it's Stack Overflow, if it's a GitHub wiki or whatever, write down these things because they're not going to be the last person to have that problem, right? Someone else is going to be working on it at some point. So write it down, write down the steps. If you counter this, here's how you configure this. So creating documentation you might feel like, well, that's really not my job. I didn't write this in the first place. But I mean, if they're coming to you for the problem, then chances are the next person who runs it into it, they're going to come to you again. 
But now you can point them to, Mm -hmm. well, okay, go here and read this. This explains what's going on here, why it's doing it that way. And then now you're making your job easier down there. At work, we have this weird dynamic where the people who have been at the company for a shorter period of time actually understand the documentation much better because they've had to look Mm -hmm. it up. Whereas the people who have been there for a long time don't even know that half the documentation exists because they've never had to look at it. And they don't even know that half the documentation got created because people were onboarded and were confused. And to Tim's point, like then people documented it because it was confusing. So, so like the guy that I was talking about earlier that I was trying to onboard this morning, he was like, Oh, is there maybe a, like a service diagram or some sort of architectural diagram that I could look at? And I was like, I don't think so. I mean, there might be, but I wouldn't even know where to locate it. If, if it's not in the readme of the repository that I'm working with, like, I don't know where to look. Yeah. So you should have like a good document storage solution. Like Confluence is really good. It, it's laid out. Like we have application documents in there that our SQA team has written that have some of the guidelines for how they even decided to build these stories and, you know, why it's so complicated and the complexity behind it. And then the onboarding's on there and just general like questions and answers. It's But again, we have a lot of people and you're a much smaller team. So you don't onboard as people as often as we do. And I have to admit, I find Confluence very intimidating. I, I, I don't know why. There's something about, I just have, I go into it with this fear that I'm not going to be able to find the information that I need. And I don't quite understand how Confluence is structured, which I think is silly because it's basically just folders of folders yep. of folders. But there's, it. it's so vast that it, it makes me, I, I don't know. I just get very intimidated and like, I'll search for something like database migration and I'll get like, 20 results and I don't know which one's the right one. And then I immediately just freak out and decide that Confluence is not. (laughs) He's so scared. I I don't know why it's so intimidating for me. Yeah, it shouldn't be. I mean, for me, I'll go in there. We we were working on story planning today and I had to find out what I didn't even know what a word meant. And I didn't want to be the person going, what's a base? Because it's B lowercase capital A C E. And I'm like, I don't know what they're talking about, but we're modifying the base. And I'm thinking the whole time they're talking about like the base file, like, you know, everything's off base. It's base, right? And I realize it's a whole nother word. I don't want to ask. So I just went and looked it up. Sure enough, there's SQA documentation for it. I was like, oh, there we go. Now I know what it is. So what is it? Because we're all mm-hmm. dying to know. <laughs> it's a vendor integrate. It's like a vendor integration thing. So it's just something internal. My company has acronyms for everything. It's the worst because you don't know what any of it means. Carol, that we need a swap guide yeah. for. Yeah, right. The acronym <laughs> yeah. guide. You know, the thing that drives me crazy at work is they're always talking about quarters, like this quarter of, of financial year 22. But the financial year at our company starts in February. Oh, so weird. the quarters are all shifted. But just one month, though. That's weird. Yeah. But they're just one month. And also, I just find quarters like a really weird conceptual model to use in conversation. Like just say September or like sometime between November of this year and February of the next year. It's like when you're learning a different language and someone says something to you in French and then in your brain, you're converting it from French to English as you're consuming it. Like, don't make me do that. Just use months. Everybody understands (laughs) months. Yeah. Well, so we work very heavily with universities and most of them, because of the way the school year works, their fiscal year is either like July through June 
mm-hmm. or like September through whatever month comes right before September, <laughs> August. <laughs> so, and the thing that trips me up the most with it is like, okay, so you've got our fiscal year starting on just say like July 1st or whatever, but then, so is fiscal year 2021 the year that starts in 2021 and ends in 2022 or is fiscal year 2021, the one that ends in 2021. Oh, that whole thing. (laughs) Just use the calendar. We all agreed on this stupid Gregorian calendar (laughs) anyway. Let's do it. And we're suffering through time zones. Just give us the calendar. I I was going to say, I'll throw something else out here, which I think is another responsible swamp guide principle. Cause I've seen this, become contentious is that it is not about trying to figure out why in the world it was built this stupid way or blaming whoever wrote it that stupidly. That is just a pit of despair that you can't get out of once you start going down that hole. I find that I apologize a lot when I'm running people through the code. I'm like, I'm sorry. I know this is crazy. It's really old. This code's like the oldest code in the universe. I'm sorry. It looks like I do too, but I, I think it's not about that. What it's about is making sure that you or whoever is assigned to work on it, that you're guiding, leave the swamp a cleaner place when you're done. Yeah. So it's funny that you mentioned this. I have this document that I've been working on for my company. And long term, the intention is to like get the rest of the company to participate in it. But for right now, it's just sort of my observations of our culture as a company. And whether it is something that I want for my team or that I'm recognizing in my team, I think it's a little bit of both. But one of the things in that document is that you should always assume uh, positive mm. intent, right? We didn't set out to write code that's a friggin' mess or difficult to understand or you know, hard to find the, the thing you need to work on. It just ended up that way because we were solving problems and maybe there was a tight deadline or low budget or whatever the problem was. And, and that's absolutely something that every single one of us has gone through and so we should be able to relate to it and so to be angry at the people who did it before you is mm. hypocritical because you're going to be doing yeah. it next month it, and it's a waste of, it's a waste of time i mean that you can't change the past right yeah. it, it's you got to where you got because of reasons and, and those reasons felt mm-hmm. very valid at the time so there's no point getting upset and angry about it, it just and some people just can't let that go they're like this is they should have done that yeah they should have we see that now I think even the people who wrote it will probably see that now, but haranguing on that one point is doesn't solve the problem. Let's fix the problem. Let's make it better when we leave. And that's what I challenge like people when people and some personalities just really hang on to that. They just really just want to hammer home how stupid this solution was. Okay. I get it. I want you to rewrite it to the point where if there's anything stupid in it, you have to take a hundred percent ownership of it. Yeah. It's funny because I was, as soon as I finished saying all that stuff about assuming positive intent, my gut reaction was to think like, well, but there are going to be times where somebody is doing something intentionally lazy or something like that. But at the, and then my reaction to my reaction was like, yeah, but also (laughs) that being lazy can be a positive thing, right? Like they're not wasting company time on stuff that may not be completely necessary. And sometimes it's just organizational failure. I mean, it's ignorance on the part of person working on it and the ignorance is not their fault. Yeah. Or you're also forced into something because you have Mm short-sighted vision for management. So you have that, you were pushed down it and now you've, got this big giant debt that's just going to sit there forever because you weren't given the time at the technical level to get it. 
Yeah, my coworker had sent me, this was years ago, so I had to go look it up while you guys were talking, but it was, it's called The Big Ball of Mud. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if you ever go look it up, I mean, there's a lot of really good insight in there. Basically, you end up with this giant ball of mud that you can't get out of. So someone's got to be the leader through it. And you got to realize that it's not your swamp guide's problem. It's not their fault. Like they didn't introduce this on their own, even if they were part of it in the original like startup of it or the beginning phases of it, it's a a big giant deal for them too. And they're having them to walk through it just like you are. It's interesting. We've talked about this in a really early episode, this idea that there's a, people get looked down upon if you take the constructs from one language and you bring it into another language (laughs) where they're like, don't go into cold fusion and try to write it like a Ruby application or like, don't go into (laughs) Golang and try to write it like a PHP application. But I wonder how much of that is from people who had to work in a code base that they weren't familiar with. So they don't understand the constructs of the language. They don't understand how the application is organized. So they just try to write code to get things done. And then the people who are really familiar with the code base look at that and be like, oh, that's what happens when you have a Java developer come and work inside (laughs) your, you know, Ruby (laughs) app. But but maybe like Tim to Tim's point, like it's just naivete. Like they just didn't know what they were doing. Right. It's not like they were trying to do something wrong or they were trying to write a Java application inside of a PHP application. They just didn't know how that app was organized. Like it's easy to take the the logic and the ability to write software to any company or any language. It doesn't always transpose over to what you're actually doing though. So it does, you know, come off looking sloppy sometimes. So this all reminds me of like Hanlon's razor, right? Never attribute to malice that which is adequately exp- explained by stupidity. <laughs> but but I want to, I mean, I'm trying to come at this from a positive direction, right? So instead of stupidity, I just want to change that for like benign ignorance, right? So like, yeah. it's not their fault. They just didn't know any better, whether they didn't have the coding chops to do it cleaner, or they didn't know the better process, or they didn't know your system well enough to organize it better. If ignorance can explain it, then don't assume malice. I like so, it. Yeah. It, there, I like there's it. almost a, I don't attribute malice necessarily, but I do get bothered by the fact that people make decisions and then they're not there to, to deal with them. Oh, we just talked about mm-hmm. this, didn't we? So it's not like, mm-hmm. I'm not, it's like, so I don't think that they were trying back to screw out the me horse. over. <laughs> but like, Here's I get, your club, I, Ben. <laughs> I just, I do get frustrated that I have to deal with it. Yeah. It's a crappy situation. Yeah, and that's kind of another thing I would say is I'm trying to think of the principles here involved in this is that it's the swamp guides job, even though sometimes it's not necessarily even his job or her job. It's but just because the other person can't do their job unless they get help from you, the swamp guide shouldn't be upset with the person asking for help. No, agree. Because, I mean, if they didn't ask you for help, all they would do is make the swamp worse. Yeah. So you should be very <laughs> privileged that they think enough of you to ask you for advice and that they, they had the mm-hmm. humility to say, look, I don't really understand what's going on here. Can you shed some light here? And yes, it's an interrupt in your day. But I mean, overall, it is better for the application if you can help them understand it and, and then encourage them to, as I said earlier, leave the swamp a little bit cleaner than it was before. Yeah. Yep. Being a good swamp guide, I think, falls under the category of other duties as assigned. Yep. Mm-hmm. Nobody gets hired to be right. the swamp guide, but yeah, you just, it, although uh, it just falls in your lap. When my team, like when my 
actual individual team at the company, when we were used to hiring people, we would have onboarding buddies. So every time a new person would get hired, yeah. you'd get assigned someone on the team and they would sort of walk you through and be your consigliere mm-hmm. over the next couple of weeks about how things work. <laughs> <laughs> but, oh man, I'll tell you, like there was nothing as joyful for me as when someone else on my team was excited about being the onboarding buddy. Yeah. And I was like, yes, <laughs> not me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and it's not because I don't, I'm fairly introverted and just being with people, even people I like is exhausting. So the idea of onboarding people, which is a very valiant and, and wonderful thing to do, it's still exhausting for me personally. I can't speak for everyone, but it, it's exhausting for me. And it's like, even I get that Slack message where they're like, Hey, can I, can we screen share for a minute? I'm a little confused and I have to like center mm-hmm. myself. I'm like, you can do this. It's okay. <laughs> Sounds like we, something I have to do when my kids are bugging me. <laughs> it's the same thing. Exact same thing. We assigned those people to some of the newer hires because like you guys were saying earlier, I'm not sure who it was, but one of you three definitely said it. Was it? Oh, it was Ben. I got it now. I know who it was. It's Ben. No, was saying he couldn't even like find the documentation. You don't even mm-hmm, know where yeah. it is. Like the, the older people in the, the organization who've been there more tenured don't know what onboarding looks like. So I'm already know how to go find the calendar to put my time off on because I just had to do that a few months ago. So I can still show someone. So we do kind of learning the ropes together through the newer people. And then as we get um, accustomed to being on the team, then you start getting assigned to work projects with more senior, more tenured people on the team to actually do work work with. Yeah, it works out well. Quick wild tangent for a second. The idea of being able to teach things that you just learned actually makes you a better teacher for certain things. That's a topic that comes up in various places, especially with regard to people who have imposter syndrome and they want to get into teaching, they want to get into blogging, writing, or doing stuff in public. And they're like, oh, I don't feel like I'm good enough to do this. There's all these people around me who've been doing this for years and they can talk about it much more effectively. But what those people don't have is that recency of the problem solving that you had to deal with and i think it's it's a great it's a great point that the people who had to struggle through something more recently are probably more capable of teaching you mm. how to get through it because you're sort of in the yeah, same I mean, how many place. times have you done like an online tutorial on something learning some new thing and it's like you get stuck on the like first two pages because there is a huge <laughs> assumption there's a huge <laughs> assumption there and you're like i it I've run through that many times where it's like, I, it would take me days to get for that first few couple chapters because they assume something or even worse, the binaries or the code wasn't up to date in the thing I was reading and it had updated. There's a new mm-hmm. version of whatever language it is and you have to use that new version and that's not in the, the article. Uh, there's a huge amount of assumed knowledge. And I think, yeah, Ben, you're right. When, mm-hmm. when it comes to learning something new and just starting out, sometimes person with less experience is better at teaching than a person with a whole lot of experience because there's a whole lot of assumptions they make that a new person wouldn't. That actually has a name. It's called the curse of knowledge, Uh, right? So you've been working in the system for so long that you have actually created in your mind layers of abstraction and you're working at layer seven or something on a daily basis. And when you're trying to explain something, it's the the explanation works best when it's down at layer one, right? Mm, Totally. And so it's hard for you to go down those layers because you are so practiced at thinking at the high layer that you, it takes you effort to go, okay, well really, what does that mean? And that breaks down into two or three things. And each of those you have to go, well, but what does that mean? And and you break it down further and further until finally you get like understandable directions. It's just, you end up with a lot more directions because each of those layers of abstraction exist for a reason. Yeah. 
totally. I just updated our onboarding doc because I was uh, reading through it, just looking for things to talk about while we were just having this discussion here. And I found one thing that was like already out of date. So yeah, I'm updating it off one, the clock even. Oh, one thing that we do in our doc that I meant to, to bring up earlier is we don't force anyone to use any specific IDE. So you get to choose mm-hmm. what you want. It's just if you do one that we aren't doing, like if you use one that we aren't currently using, go add the documentation for it. So right now we have documentation for Atom, we have documentation for VS Code and for IntelliJ. So it has all the packages you need. It has how to get database connections in, like all of that's been put up. So they're like, if you're going to spend the time learning how to use this IDE and how to configure it for a project, go ahead and spend the time creating the documentation. So someone behind you can do the same if they choose. Nice. So Yeah, yeah we have the same attitude in our, in, like in our culture document. I think there's something in there too about that. And it's just like, you can use whatever you want, whatever's productive for you, but our institutional knowledge currently is in these things. Right. And what we can help you. But, you know, like we use Prettier to make our JavaScript Prettier. less ugly. And and, and so we're going to expect <laughs> that your whatever you're using is also going to run prettier, whether you do choose to do that on the command line or if it's integrated in your IDE or whatever. The assumption is just there that you're going to have run it. So do something that works for you. I, I think I, I came up with one more kind of thing I think is a good swamp guide attitude. So let's say some people actually take pride in like being the swamp guide, right? Because other people come to them, ask for help. It It does give you a feeling of importance and being needed. But sometimes even the swamp guide gets lost. And so it's oh, the swamp yeah. guide needs to have the humility to say, I don't know. And either help, I'll help you figure it out together or we can go to someone else who might know. And I think Ben's example of what he did today where he's what spent three hours helping a person with a Docker problem. I mean, that's you spent three hours, right? You didn't know the answer immediately. It wasn't like, oh, no, you do this. So frustrating. It, it was frustrating. <laughs> but, as, but I mean, you did it, right? So if you don't know, figure it out together. And learn from that experience or say, you know what, I, this is not my field. Let me introduce you to this person. They know, they might know how to answer this. Yeah, we actually, and I go back and forth on on whether or not I'm comfortable with this idea, but we have sort of swamp expertise or we have certain people who are the person, like the one person of the company who still knows about an area of the application. They tend to be the ones who will guide you through it. And I hate that a little bit because I, that's a pretty high bus factor. <laughs> if that person were to get hit by a bus, right, then nobody knows about that part of the application. But I then validate or not validate. I justify it by then remembering that I have other stuff to do. And there's one less thing you have to know everything about. Yeah. You can know high level and it's okay. SMEs. They're called SMEs. Subject matter experts. You subject matter experts. Yeah. I don't know if a swamp guide feels a little bit different than an expert. It's like a swamp guide is just a person who's been through the battles, right? (laughs) They've got the scars and they got the stories to tell, but Mm -hmm. they're important. I mean, it's like if you got an older application, you need those folks. Yeah. I mean, you just got to navigate it together. But but like I said, I think the biggest thing is just leave that swamp a little bit cleaner before you leave. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, does that wrap it up then? I think so. All right. Well, then... This episode of Working Code was brought to you by The Squamp and listeners like you. <laughs> and if you like what we're doing here, you might want to consider supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash working code pod. And we do have a new patron this week. So welcome aboard, Adam Cameron. My favorite hater. Uh, hey. 
My favorite hater. Sam's heart matters. Uh, so to say thanks for your support, we offer perks to our patrons. They all get an invite to our Discord server where we hang out and chat about the podcast, work stuff, life stuff. We have other perks available like early access to new episodes and our after show, which we're going to go record after this. Every week, we thank our top patrons. And since this week is part of every week, we, we're sending out a huge thank you to Peter and to Monty. If paying for podcasts isn't your thing, that's cool with us. We appreciate you taking the time to listen. And you can help us out without spending any money by sharing the show with your friends and your coworkers. You can also leave us a rating and a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts, because apparently that's helpful. Please send us your questions and your show topics on Twitter or on Instagram at Working Code Pod. And it's been a while since we've gotten any. If you guys are listening to this and you got an idea, send it in. Or you can leave us a message at 512-253-2633. That's 512-253-CODE. We'll catch you next week. And until then, remember, guys, your heart matters, especially our new patron, Adam Cameron. Your heart. Especially Adam. Your heart and hate (laughs) matter so much. It's so good. good. I feed on it. (laughs) <laughs> i don't know if we've actually said it on here we've said it on twitter and uh, everywhere else your hate, your matters. hate matters to me <laughs> you've been listening to working code with your hosts adam ben carol and tim if you're enjoying the show please feel free to rate subscribe and review on your preferred podcast listening platform we really appreciate that effort we'll catch you on the next episode of working code the marathon made me think of nipples, which made me think of my internship. <laughs> and years ago, when I I was in college, I got this internship at this at a web development company. And like day two, the one of the women who was like a founding partner at the company, she had just had a baby, mm-hmm. and so she was nursing a lot. So she sent me to the store to get her nipple cream because her she was all <laughs> chafed. Oh, it's and awful. It, <laughs> Yeah. It was it was not something like, you know, a twenty you ever thought, right? Boy yeah. <laughs> feels comfortable doing. You're like, I thought I was gonna be getting you coffee. <laughs> not nipple not cream. Nipple cream. <laughs> Did you offer to apply it for her? <laughs> no. Need <laughs> some help. You mean check those out for you? I'm a professional here. Oh dear. I know what they're supposed to look like. This is back when he was doing kinky solutions stuff, right? <laughs> oh, boy. This, this is pre-kinky solutions. Oh, was it? Oh, wow. This is what inspired yeah. kinky solutions. <laughs> what was funny is Carol's face when you said talking about marathons made me think of nipples. It is a common complaint, though, for people Usually who do for guys running. running. Yeah, when they're running. Oh, is it just for guys? I didn't realize that. Because their shirts rub against it. We usually have on bras. Uh, yeah. That's pretty tight. I just assumed that was mm-hmm. like everybody's oh, chafing. Yeah. Sometimes no, you see dudes running down the road and there's just like blood. streams of blood yeah. on their shirts coming out of their nipples. <laughs> Get. Let's do this. I don't like mosquitoes, so I'll stay out of the squamp. The squamp. I keep wanting to say squamp. I don't know why. Monster. I want to put a cue in I mean, there. I mean, I'm the one who had dental work today. I should be slurring. I haven't had alcohol in like a week. <laughs> what? <laughs> I think I'm like detoxing or something. You're too sober. <laughs> too sober. You see them sweating all over it. Even when they're done wiping it down, I'm like, I think I'll wipe it down again. <laughs> what? Talking about the what? gym? I think we were talking about the gym. Um, It popped up that something came up like with the podcast. I don't know if I didn't get the notification that a new episode came up. So when I tapped it, it started playing it. It wouldn't stop playing oh, it. And I'm like, I don't know what it's doing. It's possessed. <laughs> get an exorcist. I give up. That's why you don't play with your phone while we're recording, Carol. <laughs>